With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We'll find out, I hope, quite a bit more. Um, I think we're a more disciplined team. I think we're a more efficient team right now. Hopefully, with the last two wins, making a little more of a, a confident team. Uh, we got to go on the road to a tough place, play a really good team that's going to be kicked off uh, and had two weeks of practice since their last game that didn't go well for them. So we know what we're in for. We're, we're going to get their best shot, and we got to do everything we can to give them ours. We got to be ready to go. We got to show up, and we can't get uh, can't get phased by the the stadium or the Ohio State. We got to go out there and play. We got to we got to start fast. We got to be aggressive. We got to have a mindset. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a battle. They're gonna be ready to roll. Um, we've we've talked about that. We know that they're gonna be on their stuff and and ready to get after it. You know they're foaming at the mouth for another game. So um, we're gonna get their best shot and and we're gonna go in, go in there and do ours. I feel like the team is ready to just move on use this momentum that we have and go compete against Ohio State. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. It's Nebraska, Ohio State, Saturday, an 11 a.m. game nationally seen on Fox as the Huskers are going to try, first of all, guys, to get Ohio State to punt for the first time in three years. The previous two meetings, Nebraska, their defense has not even forced a punt when they've played against Ohio State. So they've got their work cut out for them. They're also getting Ohio State at not really an opportune time. I don't know if there ever is an opportune time to get Urban Meyer, but they're coming off a loss. I don't believe Urban Meyer's lost two games in a row um, since he's been at Florida or Ohio State. You have to go back way back, and I don't think he's lost from off a of bye week since Bowling Green. So there, there's a lot of things on paper that heavily favor Ohio State at home, but there, there's still a lot of issues with the Buckeyes, Purdue beat them, as we know, and, and they didn't look good. There's been a lot of questions about Urban Meyer personally with his health and his coaching future this week. So just a lot of off-the-field distractions that have added some intrigue. And then we've seen the point spread, Robin, go from 22.5 down to as low as 17, 17.5 as the Buckeyes on the year are 2-6 against the spread. Uh, they just haven't played well, and I, I think – a lot of people are doubting this Urban Meyer team, even as they come off a bye week to play Nebraska on Saturday. Yeah, there are two teams that are in completely different ends of the spectrum. Obviously, uh, Ohio State, coming off that Purdue loss, their college football playoff situation got put in real jeopardy. Uh, I think they dropped a 10th in the first uh, playoff rankings, and so they have a lot of work to do. Uh, and not much time to do it. And so uh, they've had two weeks to sit there and think about, you know, what all went wrong in that Purdue game. And then obviously, like you mentioned, Urban Meyer's health situation um, becoming an issue once again. So there's just a lot of outside noise this team has had to kind of go through for the past two weeks without being able to get on the football field again uh, since that Purdue loss. And whereas Nebraska, uh, you know, they've won two in a row. Uh, after a terrible start to the season, there's actually some positive moment momentum building there. Uh, I think guys are having fun. They finally seem to found an identity um, offensively uh, with, the, you know, having the, the two-headed running back attack and then, you know, obviously Adrian Martinez making plays. So, uh, you know, things are rolling for Nebraska right now, and they're entering this game, yes, in 
not ideal circumstances, probably about as least ideal as you could come up with. But at the same time, they have nothing to lose. I mean, losing this game is nothing. I mean, no one's picking them to win. Uh, it's a three-score spread, you know, depending on where you find it. But all the pressure's on Ohio State. Um, they absolutely not only have to win this game, they need to look good doing it. And that's going to be in the back of their mind there. And you add in all the outside stuff that's going on right now, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Buckeyes handle that in the game they're supposed to win against a team that's playing some pretty good football right now. Yeah, we were talking off air, Rob, and you mentioned that uh, you know this this is a, a team Ohio, of Ohio State that – uh, these guys aren't used to, to really facing a whole lot of adversity. They're, they're, first of all, they're not used to losing a whole lot, and especially uh, to a team like Purdue and, and the way that they did uh, in, in that situation, uh, plus all the other off-the-field stuff. So it'll be inter- interesting to see exactly where they're – you know what their mental makeup is but um you know for nebraska you know it's it's not it's not very ideal uh to face them coming off the bye week because you know these guys uh they're they're dialed in you know their players have talked about they had a players only meeting to to try and uh figure out what's going on and and to to correct some things that that have been taking place uh, after that purdue game and um you know i guess if there's a silver lining here if you're going to be be playing in the horseshoe um, you know, it's an 11 o'clock game, 11, 11 a.m. kickoff for the, for the Huskers. So you'd rather have that than a, a night game with uh, with their alternate jerseys and all that stuff. The, too. the blackout, the, the blackout, doing. the vaunted blackout of, of Ohio State. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting. Like you said, the, Nebraska doesn't have anything to lose. And, and, um, and we've seen um, their guys making plays on offense, especially. And, and that's something that Purdue really killed them with. Guys, until I see Nebraska have success in Urban Meyer, it's just hard yeah. to imagine it. I mean, just what I envision Saturday is a freaking pissed off Urban Meyer coming at Nebraska like Mike Tyson in the first round of his prime with every single thing he has. And can Nebraska stand up to that? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be able to withstand that opening first round charge where Urban Meyer's coming at him with everything, trying to knock out Nebraska very early in this first quarter? We saw him do that really to all the three previous times he's played in Nebraska, twice with Mike Riley, and then obviously the one time Bo Pelini faced him. Uh, Nebraska, you know, that Bo Pelini team was actually up 17-7 to in that game, and then um, it turned really quick uh, on a few plays. Uh, who was that quarterback they had? Was it Braxton? Braxton Miller. Braxton Miller had a couple big plays that turned that game around. Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde and some other big-name guys. But, yeah, can Nebraska withstand that first-round uh, flurry of what Urban Meyer and and his and Greg Schiano and his staff is going to bring at the Big Red. Yeah, I mean that's what the players and coaches have talked about all week. Is you know that first quarter and specifically those first few possessions are probably going to define this game. Uh, obviously, if Ohio State starts hot and gets a fourteen point lead right out of the gates, you know Nebraska's not built to come from behind. You know they they're a team that needs to play with the lead and you know get on teams early. And so when that f- script is flipped, they struggle. But the other end to that is what happens if Nebraska gets the ball first and comes out and scores a touchdown right off the bat? This is an Ohio State team that, like I said, has a lot of pressure on it right now, and they're not used to dealing with that type of football adversity. And so, you know, if Nebraska comes out, gets a stop, uh, scores on their first drive, and all of a sudden, you know, all the onus is on Ohio State to step up, how are they going to handle that? You know, with, uh, with all those distractions, I mean, that can't be said enough. Ohio State's got a lot of issues right now off the field. Um, yes, they're an extremely talented team. They're Ohio State. But uh, are they capable of, you know, dialing in their 100% focus uh, on game day and doing getting the job done 
um, like I said, when they've had basically two straight weeks to hear about how bad they are and um, how dwindled down their chances of making the college football playoff are now. Yeah, with as much noise as they've been hearing, you know that Urban Meyer would love to, to kind of make a statement to the college football playoff committee and by beating Nebraska, kind of maybe even running the score up a little bit on the Huskers. I mean, if they went out and they're in the playoffs. Yeah. They have Michigan State, Nebraska, Ohio State, and a Big Ten title game appearance over whoever will be there from the West. If they win all those, they're going to be in the top four. Yeah, yeah, they'll get in. Um, And and the other thing, too, is – I, you know, I don't know what Urban Meyer's view of Scott Frost is. Um, I've, I've kind of heard some things that, that maybe Urban would like to kind of stick it to Scott Frost a little bit, um, you know, because Frost came in and, and kind of made that comment about, you know, the, the Big Ten adjusting to, to him and, and whatnot. And um, so I, I've you know, heard some talk that, that maybe there's a little bad blood there that he'd like to maybe humble Scott Frost a little bit. So that's something that Nebraska is going to have to, to kind of withstand. What's funny too. is Frost. Ross is a lot like Meyer was probably yeah. at this age. Yeah. And, you know, and that's not my words. We met Mike Bianchi uh, from the uh, Orlando Sentinel, the columnist down there, and he covered Frost and Urban Meyer. And he said Frost is a young Urban Meyer in a lot of respects. A lot of swag, a lot of ego, and not afraid to say what he thinks. And that probably yeah. is a big reason, you know. I mean, a lot of times uh, similarities, you know, they, they can ruffle some jimmies there. So The difference is Frost's former player pedigree is a lot higher than Meyer's. I, I don't know what Meyer's playing background was, but I don't, I don't think it was anywhere close. He didn't close. win a national championship, I'll tell you that much. And, yeah, he wasn't an NFL <laughs> player, um, but yeah, obviously he's been coaching – at the highest level for 20 years or more now. Yeah, and so, you know, that's going to be part of this thing is Ohio State not only has to win, they want to look good doing it. And so that's why I say if this thing starts off a little rocky for them and Nebraska is able to get some momentum, that could shape the whole rest of the game going forward. All right, when we come back, we're going to discuss more of the offensive storylines going into this game, including Adrian Martinez and what kind of game he's going to need next. You're listening here to the Oscar Line Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I believe in our team, I believe in my teammates, and I know we believe in each other. Um, There's no question in all of our minds that we can compete with Ohio State and um, beat Ohio State. That's our goal. Um, I think if you go into a game thinking you can't win, then um, you're already lost. You know, the beating he took in Michigan, I hope it never gets worse than that for him in his career. I think he's going to be prepared for it, and on top of that, he's going to be a lot healthier than he was going into that one. I, I think he'll be ready, and I think the whole team will be ready. And welcome back here to the Husker Alliance show. That was head coach Scott Frost and quarterback Adrian Martinez as they get ready to go out to Columbus to take on the Buckeyes. A segment here of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. Five locations in Omaha, one here in Lincoln. Get on in the Tanner's. Catch the 11 a.m. game on Saturday and all the college football action here um, in any one of those six Tanner's locations. Also all the NFL uh, football as well. Uh, but as you look at this game um, I go back to Scott Frost's comments, guys, when he was at Michigan. He said it was rock bottom for the team. Uh, I told the guys, this is rock bottom. We won't go lower to here or lower than here at this point. And I think as you move forward now a month later to Ohio State, I think everyone's kind of got a measuring stick. I'd, okay, how far has this team come since, quote, rock bottom? This is probably the first time they're going to play a team with similar talent level um, than Michigan, particularly in the skill areas and the speed areas um, and in the head coach pedigree on the sideline. Um, and, and that's what I'm going to be watching, Rob, and just kind of to see has this team gotten better since that dark day in Ann Arbor? I don't think there's any question they've gotten better. In fact, I think they're a completely different team than they were 
you know, a month ago. Uh, that Look back at that Michigan game. That was Adrian Martinez's second collegiate game, his first road game, and he was playing with a bum knee. And so, I mean, that offense had zero identity. Uh, they didn't know what their running back situation was. The offensive line had just played a terrible game at Troy. Uh, and so, I mean, there, there was just a lot of negatives surrounding Nebraska and just uncertainty uh, that played out perfect, perfectly uh, in a total mismatch game that was never even uh, a, a contest. Now you look at where they are against Ohio State. I mean, they've played, you know, their three best games of the season in a row uh, going back to that Northwestern game uh, and actually have some positive momentum, you know, with two straight victories, uh, you know, regardless of the opponent, wins or wins. Uh, but I think more importantly is ne Nebraska knows what it is now. Uh, that, that running game has really taken off with Divino Zigbo, Maurice Washington. Uh, Adrian Martinez is getting better and better by the week, uh, making smart decisions with the football. Uh, still needs to work on, you know, some of the turnovers, but uh, his ratio of big plays to turnovers is significantly better than it was earlier in the year. Uh, and so really everything is just kind of starting to take shape. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I wouldn't even look back at that Michigan game as an example of what to expect this weekend because I think Nebraska is such a completely different team across the board uh, that they're better in all areas. Yeah, the confidence level alone, I, I think, is is something that – Nebraska is probably entering this Ohio State game feeling as good about itself as, as they have in a long time. I mean, uh, I think the last two years that they've played Ohio State, they're coming off of, of a loss to, to Wisconsin. Um, and both those games were, were uh, not pretty, at least not the way that they ended. So, um, and, and they've got a guy running the ship in, in Adrian Martinez that I think uh, will give them a chance to at least stay in the game. I, I think everyone has supreme confidence in Adrian Martinez. Uh, they know that they've got a couple playmakers in, in J.D. Spielman and Stanley Morgan. And then, like you said, the, the, the running game's been going with Divino Zigbo. I mean, he's looked as good as he ever has. Uh, they've got a dynamic guy in Maurice Washington. So they've got some playmakers that I think that you can you can at least look at and, and say, okay, well, we've got some dudes, too, that can make plays. Not It's not just all Ohio State. So, uh, but it's that defense, I, I think, that, um, you know, if there is any question marks, that it might be on that side of the football. But uh, you have to like where, at least where Nebraska's confidence level is heading into to, uh, Columbus. Yeah, let's stick on that subject of the running game, guys. Uh, I, I think as you look at how it's played out the last few weeks, you know, you didn't know what it meant when Greg Bell left. But I think there was a big turning point when Divino Zigbo had the big day against Purdue and then we saw Maurice Washington kind of grow. I think the next week at Wisconsin, um, it just kind of cleaned itself up in a lot of ways. Having three backs was good at times, but I think it really complicated reps and rhythm. And as Bell has been gone now since Wisconsin, we, we, we've just seen this position really come together. And um, that extra five to seven carries that each Bell – and, and Ozigbo have gotten per game that maybe they wouldn't have gotten with Greg Washington. Bell or Washington. Maybe they wouldn't have gotten if Greg Bell's still here. I think he's made a huge difference in then the growth and the development of that position. Oh, yeah, and Divine Ozigbo even said so uh, on Monday. Uh, he said he was asked about that two-man rotation and you know what his thoughts are, and he said it's been great because uh, you know now he actually feels like he has the opportunity to get into a rhythm where uh, I mean look at the Bethune-Cookman game you know he he wasn't having his best runs early but he kept getting the ball and then finally they started to break you know he started to see the field get a feel for the defense uh, and you know big plays came as a result of that and um, I think. 
think not only uh, just the fact that they've narrowed down that rotation, but they have a great complement in that backfield. Ozigbo is playing the best football of his career. He's a tough runner. Uh, he's going to wear the defense down. And then you throw in uh, the Maurice Washington, who is as electric of a playmaker as they have on this team. Um, that is really difficult for t- defenses to adjust to, uh, especially when Zigbo is running at the level he is at the second level. So, um, I mean, I think that both those guys have really flourished in getting those increased opportunities. They know what their role is, uh, and they're flourishing in them. And they're bought into the rotation too. And uh, and for Nebraska's staff, you know, especially Ryan Held, the running backs coach, he he said it's all about keeping those guys' legs fresh. Fresh legs make big plays, and and they don't want those guys, you know, taking uh, a ton of snaps all all in a row and kind of getting run down because those runs aren't going to pop. Uh, you know, and and right now they're kind of alternating by series, but there's certain plays that they prefer one or the other to to be in on, and and Held is kind of the you know frost right hand man when when he's on the sidelines calling plays and so he can kind of pull the trigger on on who to insert into the game and when to do it and and so far I mean the last at least the last three or four weeks he's been doing a great job of that and and we've seen those fresh legs making some plays you know as we talk offensive storylines here uh, uh Ozigbo had over 100 yards Saturday uh both Morgan and Spielman were kind of in that 80 yard neighborhood um even though they only played a half but it, it really does look like a realistic goal or thought that you could have 2,000-yard receivers and one 1,000-yard running back, Nate. And I wanted to ask you this because you're a recruiting guy. How big would that be just to have those results on paper to show to kids in the country, like, look, this is what this offense is. We're producing 1,000-yard receivers, 1,000-yard backs. How many other offenses in the Big Ten can really say that as far as what what we can do for you as a player? Yeah, there aren't very many offenses that can do it. I, I don't know if they're – I mean, it's very limited, if that. And and to have the ability to say that uh, to not only running backs, um, but also wide receivers is huge because generally you're known as a team that throws the ball all over but doesn't run it very well or or vice versa, a team that that runs it very well, but your your, uh, opportunities as a receiver are going to be pretty limited. And so uh, to be able to do that and and on top of that, to be able to say this is from our true freshman quarterback too, running things and, and so this is only going to continue to to grow and get better um you know that's pretty powerful in terms of uh you know how they're able to market that and to recruits well here's the one thing uh, along with that yes you have a great running game and those two wide receivers but the one thing that's missing is those the next wave of wide receivers the production they've gotten outside of J.D. Spielman and Stanley Morgan has been staggeringly minimal. It's a, dro- it's a drop-off. It's unbelievable. Drop All right, off. so uh, I'm just looking this up. And so Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman have accounted for 97 of Nebraska's 169 completions and all but one of their 13 total receiving touchdowns. As far as targets go, they've been targeted on 56.6% of Nebraska's total passing. And then how many of those are the backs after that? Yeah, and so the next – so, all right, here, I just looked this up. Spielman has 53 catches um, on 73 targets. Stanley Morgan has 44 catches on 68 targets. The next hot, most targeted receiver is Mike Williams, who's been targeted 11 times – for eight catches which is a game for morgan or spielman yeah and so no other receiver has more than 10 catches well they're, they're just not and we got to hit the break here but they're, they're just not committing enough to anyone else i, I feel like it's kind of like all right we're, we're just going to keep kind of shuffling other bodies out for that third and fourth mm-hmm. spot in the game and we're going to use a lot of guys like Cade warner and brian reimers for, for perimeter blocking 
Um, so I, I just feel like they haven't committed to any of those guys. And, and Adrian Martinez is not a dummy. He's going to yeah. throw the ball to the two best guys. I mean, you have two all-conference players. You're going to you're a young quarterback. You're going to trust your dudes. But um, at some point, you know, defenses are going to start shutting those guys down, and they need other guys to step up. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk defense and, and the task at hand and stopping Ohio State's Dwayne Haskins. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. He can throw it. He can run it pretty adequately when he has to. Um, I think he can make all the throws, and I think he's very well coached on where to go with the football when he when he can tell what coverage it is. Uh, so I think he's right at the top of the guys we've played. Ah, uh, it's just the strength of his arm. You know, he can throw. He can make all the throws. Uh, he can be on the far hash and make a and make a throw and outcut. A lot of times you can't find quarterbacks in college football that can make those throws, and uh, he can make those throws. Um, he's comfortable doing it. He looks easy to him. He's watching him on film. He knows exactly where to go with the ball. You know, he knows exactly his reads, and then he uses his guys. I mean, he throws the ball well on the deep balls, and um, the receivers don't have to slow down for the ball. You know, don't give the DP a chance to catch up. It's a full-speed route, and they run right up under the ball. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was defensive coordinator Eric Shenander, Coach Shins, and defensive backs coach Travis Fisher talking about the task at hand this week and slowing down maybe the one of the Big Ten players of the year, maybe the All-Big Ten quarterback, arguably, uh, Dwayne Haskins. Is, statistically, he's been the best guy in the league uh, by a wide margin. And when you look, Robin and Nate, at Dwayne Haskins, he's a lot different than past Ohio State quarterbacks. I asked Barrett Rude this, and he said, really – He's got the best arm. He's the best pro-style type guy they've had since Alex Smith when you go back to Urban Meyer's Utah days. Uh, other quarterbacks like JT Barrett, Braxton Miller, um, have been run-first type QBs at Ohio State. You had Tim Tebow at Florida as well. Did he have anybody else? I mean, did, did Urban Meyer coach the year after Tebow? I'm trying to remember that. Would when Chris Leak was there before Tebow. Chris Leak and Tebow were there the first yeah. year, and then Tebow had four years – uh, when they won the title, so oh four five six seven, so yeah, I mean they they had another guy in there, and then they, they kind of you know Cam Newton was supposed to be the successor to mm-hmm. Tebow, and he stole the laptop yeah. or something, <laughs> but yeah, you look at Haskins, and I think just eyeball, you're like, oh, this guy's a runner too. He's not really a big time runner at all. No. I mean, he has got an arm, and he makes that NFL level throw. And you know, if he was draft eligible, Robin, he he would probably be in discussion as a first round guy right now. Yeah, he's. I mean, the fact that he's an Urban Meyer protege and a pro style quarterback is going to make him extremely valuable come when he's finally in the NFL draft pool. But uh, for the time being, Ohio State has one of the best passing quarterbacks in the country as a result. I mean, he's thrown over 400 yards the past three games. Uh, He became the first quarterback in Big Ten history to open a season with five or more touchdown passes uh, on three different occasions. Uh, So, I mean, the guy is just lighting it up week in, week out. Even when he's having a quote-unquote bad game, which he did against Purdue, he still threw for 470 yards and set a school record with 73 pass attempts. So uh, their offense has taken on a completely different look than what it looked like under JT Barrett or Cardale Jones or uh, Braxton Miller or any of those guys uh, because there's really not that same threat of the quarterback run game. And uh, part of that, too, I mean, yeah, they've been putting up a lot of passing numbers, but their running game has taken a step back. They still have J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber, who are, from an individual talent perspective, as good as there is in the conference. But they're not putting up the numbers because I think they've changed their offense to become more pass-oriented. And so that's made Ohio State a little bit more one-dimensional, um, which is why, you know, in a game like Purdue, when they force it, you know, actually 
make Haskins try to go out there and have to throw the ball 73 times and win it all on his own, they've struggled a little bit. Yeah, I think you, that gives you a little bit of, of hope if you're Nebraska that you that you have a you know a one-dimensional offense uh, or so to you know so to speak one-dimensional. Uh, although they're they're putting up a lot of numbers, but um, it, but at the same time you struggle with your your pass rush. Your secondary still has some question marks in it. So um, it's going to be it's going to be you know crucial for Nebraska to kind of generate some sort of pass rush to make um, you know make Haskins feel uncomfortable in the pocket because you're right he's just been able to to sit in that pocket and and, and for the most part pick people apart all season long. So uh, you know Javon Dewitt said that his outside linebackers uh, this coming week have got to do a, a, a better job of creating pressure off the edge. But that's much easier said than yeah. done, too. Haskins doesn't get sacked. I think he's been sacked like 12 times on 350 dropbacks. Uh, and part of that is their offensive line is pretty good, but more so he is so good at pre-snap recognition and getting the ball away before pre- pressure can get to him. So um, they might rush some passes, but the idea of they're going to knock him around a little bit is probably – not going to happen. So that, to me, puts so much of an emphasis on stopping the run. Do not let Dobbins and Weber go off and make Haskins drop back 70, 75 times to try and beat you. You're listening here to the Husker Alliance Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, uh, as we talk defensive storylines. And, yeah, stopping the run um, is going to be the key because for whatever odd reason, the same guys that tore it up on the ground last year aren't running it as well. Um, And I don't know if that's the style of quarterbacks because – Haskins is not really a runner, that it's caused some change. Uh, but if Nebraska can slow down the running game, and that's a big if, they've got a chance, I think, to hang in there. No, yeah, I mean, that's look at what Ohio State's done over the past few you know, meetings there. I mean, they've gashed them. Carlos Hyde goes off. Uh, you know, Weber the year before, uh, you know, last year. I mean, there's been time and again where the runs have been so – not only uh, consistent and effective, but they've gotten those big chunk runs too. I mean, those 60-yard touchdown types of plays uh, that completely demoralize a defense. And, I mean, that's that's kind of goes back to my point where uh, it's not so much the pass rush I'm concerned about. It's that run defense and make Haskins have to drop back time and again and win the game with his arm because it's as talented as he is, that's a lot to ask any quarterback to throw the ball that many times and expect to have a productive offense. Yeah, in recent years, Nebraska's defense has had a, a little bit of a knack for – uh, letting running backs at Ohio State and Wisconsin kind of have career days, and so uh, you know if you're able to to kind of uh, keep that from happening, I, I think that, that 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 does really give you a shot there. And and they they do do some uh, some read option, but uh, Haskins very rarely keeps the football on those read options play plays. So I, I think that allows the defense to kind of uh, zero in on those backs a little bit more too in those cases. Yeah, the pass rush too, guys, uh, getting to Haskins. Because that 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 that's been a problem with Nebraska consistently. Even last week against Bethune Cookman, they weren't getting real consistent pressure. They blitzed a few times. Ben Steele had a sack in that game, um, but are they going to be able to get to Haskins and at least disrupt him enough to to, to make an impact in this game? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they haven't been good since the Colorado game with that pass rush. I mean, they've been dialing up every thinkable pressure uh, possible and none of them are getting home I mean, they're getting picked up by running backs or uh, you know the offensive line is chipping the guy so the quarterback can just step up in the pocket uh, and so it's not for a lack of effort it's just a lack of actual execution and capitalizing on those blitzes and the problem is by not getting home they've allowed a lot of you know 
pressure on the uh, secondary to have to cover in some, you know, less than ideal situations. And it's not just and the se- burned. Too. And it's not just the secondary. I think everybody's like, oh, it's the secondary. But if they're not getting much of a rush up front, it, it kind of works hand in hand. Oh, yeah. And yeah. The, the linebackers have to cover more in space, which isn't their strength. Go ahead, Nate. No, the, the, it does work hand in hand. And so I, I think the onus is going to be on, on the secondary uh, to to maybe not give Haskins those quick reads, you know, take away some of those those uh, quick reads where he's able to get the ball out right away, make him hold on to the football a little bit, then maybe they can have a chance of getting home. I think a Tyron Ferguson or a Luke Gifford though on the edge, they're going to be an X factor. Can the, can those guys do something on the pass rush? Because Ferguson's finally getting himself back up to speed, and it's a significant difference from him to Alex Davis. I mean, it's not even oh, worth a discussion on the show. Well, I look at Muhammad Barry, too, along with Gifford. Now, those two guys are both in the top ten in tackles for loss uh, in the conference. Uh, so, I mean, those guys have been making plays. It just hasn't been the sacks. And so uh, whether they're hitting Haskins or making, like Nate said, stops behind the line, uh, I mean, th- those are the types of plays Nebraska needs to throw Ohio State's offense off track, put the pressure on Haskins to where, you know, he has to do it all on his own. All right, when we come back on the show, we're going to bring in Husker online intern Mike Wheeler. We'll take your questions next here in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. What they do is they'll take one of their defense interior guys out and bring in another edge rusher inside. Uh, so the matchup with the guards is, you know, it's critical. Because now you got a quicker guy that's really trying to work your edge. You know, certainly the tackles have their hands full with the defensive ends, but now uh, the onus is now on the guards now too. You know, you just gotta, you know, do your job, take the right set line, communicate, and then fight your ass off. And welcome back here to the Husker Lions Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. And that was Nebraska's offensive line coach Greg Austin discussing the challenge they'll face with this Ohio State pass rush who oftentimes will bring in different speed rush looks, especially on those third and passing situations where they'll dump their D tackles and play with four defensive ends. And it gives offensive lines a lot of trouble. Well, moving on now to the mailbag and here to take your questions in the mailbag, Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler. Mike, what do you have to start us out with this week? All right, so we'll start off here with the game coming up this weekend. Uh, It was discussed quite a bit in your guys' last segment with the defense uh, about trying to get to Dwayne Haskins and what they want to do with that. But since Nebraska doesn't have a good pass rush, do they just sell out completely uh, uh, to stop the run and hope that Haskins has an off day passing? I don't know if you can sell out completely because Ohio State's too good at receiver. I just think it simply comes down to winning downs, making tackles, playing fundamental football, Putting Ohio State in second and obvious, third and obvious, if they're second and three, I mean, it's just going to be a long day if if they're consistently getting six, seven yards on those early downs. Open field tackling and gang tackling are going to be two of the biggest factors for Nebraska's defense. They have to get to the ball quickly. Uh, When Ohio State swings it out in the flat and lets one of those five-star wide receivers go make a play, and more often than not, that receiver is going to make the first guy miss. And so there needs to be three, four, five guys going straight to the football to make sure he doesn't get any further. And if they can do that, that's going to really bottle up what Ohio State can do and force them to stretch the field a little bit, which obviously reduces their efficiency. You're not going to stop Ohio State's offense. You're not going to shut down Dwayne Haskins, and, and you can't hope that he just has an off day. I think you just have to, to be an efficient tackling team. You can't give up the big play. You have to make Ohio State kind of string together big, long drives and, and maybe you know uh, create a turnover, create some something that, that goes your way because the longer those drives go, the, the more opportunity there is for a, a turnover or a penalty or something. 
All right, we'll switch over here to recruiting. Of the current commits that Nebraska has uh, right now, who do you see having the most uh, immediate impact and then the biggest impact overall their playing career at Nebraska? Nate? Well, of the, I mean, there's a, there's a lot. I mean, I think that the most immediate, you kind of have to point to the junior college guys uh, right away. I think a guy like Desmond Bland is going to be able to come in. And whether that's at guard or center, I think that he will essentially have a starting job from day one. Uh, he's he's uh, I mean he's going to be a two-time junior college All-American, uh, and he's he's a dominant interior offensive lineman, athletic enough that he's playing offensive tackle in, in junior college. And then Dedrick Mills, I, I think that with Divino Zigbo graduating after this year, you know, and we've seen what that kind of duo has been between more of a, a physical, bigger physical guy uh, in Ozigbo and then uh, Maurice Washington. I think that Dedrick Mills is going to have an opportunity to come in and, and really pick up right where Divine has kind of left off. So those are the, the most immediate guys, in, in my opinion. I think Bryce Benhart is one down the road. I mean, he might actually have a chance to play as a freshman. I think so. It just depends on what they want to do with a tackle guard mix of Farniak and other Juco guys they bring in. But Man, if you just kind of put a label on potential pro prospects, I mean, he he's got a shot. I mean, he's real. He really intrigues me um, when you, when you kind of look at Ben Hart down the road. Yeah, he's he's a guy. I, I don't know if there's been a more kind of NFL type prototype uh, that that Nebraska's gotten lately. On paper, he might be as impressive of a tackle as they've ever signed, maybe since Carl Nix. Yeah, Carl Nix and. And Murtha. A high school guy, Murtha, who oddly enough also Close came Minnesota. out of Minnesota. They, they make him big up in Minnesota. Yeah. What do you got next, Mike? All right, so we'll stick with the theme of recruiting here. Uh, in regards to uh, Ramir Johnson, we haven't heard much from him uh, lately. Doesn't have a doesn't see a visit scheduled. Can we expect him to sign and stick with the Huskers? Yeah, Ramir Johnson is, is totally sold on Nebraska. He's been solid uh, really from, from the moment he committed. The, the reason why he hasn't visited is because in New Jersey, they play all their high school football games on Saturday. So he, he's not had an opportunity to, to visit. Uh, he's putting together another great uh, season there. I think Bergen Catholic is 8-1 is and one right now. Uh, last week he had like 26 carries for 260 yards and a couple touchdowns. So, um, so he's doing very well, very solid to Nebraska, and I think that he'll visit as soon as his season is over. All right, so we'll uh, switch gears now uh, to the college football landscape kind of as a whole. Uh, with the college football playoff rankings finally being released this past week, uh, do you think that uh, when do you think that we could see the playoff expand to maybe six or eight teams to keep the fans interested? I've seen the same teams every year. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, the way it's set up, Alabama and Clemson, I mean, they're almost guaranteed if they, if they just lose one game, they're kind of in just because – the all almighty eye test, they're going to pass that all the time. They have the best players, the best recruiting classes every year. But I think it's going to be dollar-driven more than anything. Um, you're going to have to convince the networks expanding it is going to truly increase the revenue that it's bringing in. Um, if the revenue doesn't go up enough to justify expanding the playoffs, I just don't see them doing it, especially – because the integrity of the bowl system, I know there's a lot of people that like screw the bowls, but the bowls are the history of college football. A lot of these games, you know, have been around for a hundred years, and they're not—they're not just going to tell the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the you know, the major Cotton Bowl, the, the bowls that have kind of been the staple bowls of the game to go take a hike. You're meaningless now. We don't need you. So I think it's a very delicate landscape of honoring the tradition of the bowl system 
and also the revenue coming in. Um, and, and that's going to be what they're going to have to analyze over time. I just don't understand why you can't incorporate those bowls into the playoff. Just slap a title of this is the Sugar Bowl quarterfinal round. You can't have like, three neutral site games, though. I, I think when you're, it's different for basketball, man. Like You can do two, but I think if you expand it to three neutral site games, first round, second round, finals, that's a lot of money and a lot of traveling for fan bases to have to go to three. But we know how expensive bowl trips are. Imagine doing three of them. Yeah. And then, I, then you then you go to home sites. Then you have to deal with weather and other things in December. So I think there's a lot of other things that go into it. Okay. Well, my issue is you have more and more players that if they don't make the college football playoff, they're just saying, I'm not going to play in the bowl game because it's worthless. There's so, been like three guys that Okay. That. Well, there's going to be more and more. Ohio State on Saturday is not going to have a player on the field because he doesn't want to risk his NFL draft eligibility. So I'm just saying that when the players – Bosa's out till December, though. The players are putting their stock into making college football players, the elite, you know, players. And so when they start not playing in some of those bowl games, sure. I mean, you're you're still having the quote unquote Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl, but uh, I think as more of these players start to t- turn their attention to the NFL, uh, you're going to have you know a little bit of the the prestige knocked off them a little bit. Yeah, to me, it's all money driven, and until they figure out, you know, a way that everyone's going to still get their their piece of the pie, um, we're probably not going to see. Or the pie lot, increases. Or the pie increases, we're probably not going to see a whole lot change. Although, I, I think if you take money out of it, I, th- I don't know if anyone would say that there shouldn't be an 18 playoff because of the, some of the teams that are getting left out um, in most years. Uh, it's it's hard to say, okay, these are the clear-cut top four teams in the country. It's just there's always an outlier or two. Um, well, Notre Dame's going to really throw it off this yeah, year, Notre too. Yeah, Notre Dame will really throw it off. It, and if you're Central Florida and you've won the last 20 games in a row and you, you enter the, the – uh, the poll at number twelve. I mean, that's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty uh, disheartening if you're those. I guys. think the, their their non FCS opponents have a combined nine wins. Yeah, I mean, and I get that. But so they they haven't played anybody. Pittsburgh's their best win right now. But it's not for a lack of effort. They tried to get in the Big Twelve and they were told no. And they tried to schedule big teams and they get told no. So I mean, it's kind of like a systematic thing where a team like that will never have an opportunity to compete for a national championship because the Big Power Five is never going to let them in. All right, Mike, last question. Uh, we got time for one more. What do you have? All right, so Halloween was earlier this week. So uh, growing up, what was your guys' best Halloween costume? I don't know if I have a personal best one, but my favorite one I've ever seen was a Karate Kid movie theme where one guy dressed up as the shower, um, and that was Daniel, and then all of his buddies dressed up as the Cobra Kai, like skeleton guys. And at the Brass Rail Bar, they like reenacted the fight scene where – um, Daniel like messed with Johnny in the bathroom and then all the skeleton guys chased him through the bar like in the movie. So that, that was one of my favorite. Um, John Niatawa, our friend from the World Herald, used to dress as Barack Obama. And then his, <laughs> his friends in college would dress as Secret Servicemen and they followed him to the bathroom and stood by him while he went to the bathroom. That, that was a good one too. Yeah, it was a really kind of striking resemblance there too. Uh, mine was personal favorite was when, you know, oddly enough, I dressed up as Robin. But it was uh, like a spandex, like bodysuit, like tight, like one piece thing. And I may have enhanced it with a uh, pair of socks <laughs> to, to really accentuate uh, stuff. And so that uh, I, I showed up at a party and I was just wearing like regular clothes. And everybody was like, oh, you didn't wear a costume. I was like, hold on. 
and I ripped off my sweatshirt and I had that on underneath. <laughs> really set the tone for the whole party. I think my favorite costume was uh, a friend and I, we got our hands on on a couple of the, uh, remember those old commercial, the crash test dummies? Oh, yeah. We, we got our hands on a, a couple of those. And, and so we were the crash test dummies and, uh, you know, wearing that, that like helmet type of deal. Uh, no one knew who you were. And so it kind of gives you a little bit of uh, latitude to, to maybe do some things that <laughs> you normally wouldn't. <laughs> Playing with some house money there. Yep, house money. All right, when we come back, we're going to close the show with some recruiting. It's been a huge week for Nebraska. We'll get Nate's thoughts on that next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, you know, obviously there's some freshmen there that I know. When I was uh, on my official visit, Dwayne Haskins was my host. So, you know, I, I know a few of those guys there, and um, obviously know some of the coaches there. Um, so there's a little bit of familiarity with some of the, the guys that they have over there. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and that was Adrian Martinez. He actually went on a recruiting visit to Ohio State, Nate. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, we never really followed Adrian Martinez's recruiting. It was so quick. It happened, you know, in a matter of a couple of weeks. But my guess is Butch Jones was fired at Tennessee um, and then, then he was kind of shopping around still as a Tennessee commit, and, and that's what brought him out to Ohio State? That's exactly what happened. He was – well, I mean, if you want to go back even further, Adrian actually committed to Cal first, and then uh, there was a coaching change that happened, so he reopened his recruitment. And then he committed to Tennessee. Butch Jones gets fired, so he, he kind of started looking around. That's when he visited Ohio State. Um, and was and were considering uh, was considering the Buckeyes and then um, and then Frost got hired at Nebraska and, and you know we all know the story from there he was the first offer that Frost made and and um, you know they kind of he, he made quick work of things from there uh, so uh, you know and I think that you know he was interested in Ohio State would have been a great fit there obviously uh, but they they had a pretty stacked quarterback room and and I think that um, you know he vibed very very well with with, with Scott Frost, Mario Verduzco, this offense is is a very good fit for him, and and he had an opportunity to come in and and uh, to win the job as a true freshman, and and the rest is kind of history. We've seen what's happened from there. Well, Nate, let's stick on the recruiting subject now here at Nebraska. We were kind of in a little dead period there. There just wasn't a lot of action, and you know I think everybody was worried that the zero uh, and six start that's now two and six um, was hurting the recruiting class, and it was a legitimate concern I think by fans because. Um, Nebraska just wasn't getting a lot of commits. But to be fair, they were on the road three out of four weekends. So there was kind of a dead period of prospects coming to campus. And then I think once they got back home, they played Minnesota, and then they had Bethune-Cookman last week. We've just seen a lot of things happen, first and foremost, getting maybe their number one offensive line target on the board, Bryce Benhart. Yeah, by far the, the number one offensive line target on the board. Uh, and Bryce Benhart, 6'8", 6'9", 300 pounds. I mean, you they just don't make too many guys like him uh, that are as big as he is, as athletic as he is. You know, he's uh, he's been wrestling since he was in third grade. Uh, his father put him in gymnastics when he was a little kid. So he has tremendous feet, balance. Uh, he plays with great leverage. He, I mean, he is – He's got the potential to, to play on Sundays if he continues to develop, um, and then but he's got that attitude and that edge, you know, as a wrestler and, and uh, that you'd like to see. He's the ultimate competitor, very athletic family, uh, and when you have siblings that are very athletic and are always competing, uh, I think that kind of gets ingrained into you. So uh, a huge pickup. I mean, this is a guy that Scott Frost 
was personally recruiting, personally reached out to last January, uh, short, you know, just a few weeks after he got hired at Nebraska, and and they were making a strong push for him uh, from that point on. And you know, they got him on campus uh, for an unofficial visit. I think early last June. Uh, we're able to get him in for an official visit for the Akron game, uh, but that game didn't take place. And, and I think when he came back with his family for the Minnesota game and they brought all the siblings and everybody in for that game, that kind of signified, you know, I think that signaled to everybody that, that he was getting real close to making a decision. And uh, he made it last Sunday. And, and uh, you just can't say, you know, enough about how much that means to get a guy like that at a position of need for Nebraska. So three high school tackles, you've got – uh, one JUCO guy in, in Bland, so that's four. Um, and you know, ideally, a JUCO tackle fills out the fifth spot. And you know, I know Greg Austin a week ago said there that his number is five, but we've later learned that that number could be six. It just depends on kind of who that sixth guy is. They're not just going to take six to take six. It's got to be a guy worth taking to make it six. Yeah, it's got to be a guy that, that they just can't say no to, basically. And um, you know, and, and with Ben Hart in the boat. Uh, th- I mean, they think so highly of him. I, I don't know if if uh, another JUCO offensive tackle is necessary is, is a is a definite necessity. Uh, I think it would still be something that they'd like to be able to bring in uh, because at the very least that guy would provide some some immediate depth, uh, which they still lack right now. But um, but you know the the remaining spot or two along that offensive line are going to have to be guys that that they uh, absolutely just can't say no to because when you look ahead to the 2020 class. There are a ton of top top targets in the Midwest. I mean, there is a ton of offensive line talent in the Midwest between Colorado, uh, Kansas, and Turner Corcoran, who's a Rivals 100 guy. Iowa. Nash. I mean, yeah, Nash. Well, they're recruiting Nash as a as a as a lineman. Yeah. Well, he, he could play either. Yeah, but right? yeah, he could play on either side of the ball. But I think right now they kind of got him pegged as a defensive lineman. But I could see, I could very well see him being an offensive lineman. So there's so much talent in that 2020 class. You don't want to take a guy just for a take taking a guy and, and maybe have to take one less uh, 2020 lineman. Well, Nebraska gets another commit, Nate, um, this this week. Um, Javen Wright, the son of former Husker Toby Wright, he visited, I believe, was it the Troy game? Colorado. He, Colorado game. He came in on crutches and all, and it was quiet. I mean, it was like, you know, after his visit, we just didn't hear a lot as far as kind of what was going to happen. Um, and, you know, you even saw some people picking UCLA, which you and I are kind of like puzzled by that um, because it just felt like he was going to follow in the family footsteps. And that's how it played out this week. Yeah, that's how it played out. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, UCLA put up I mean, they, they did a, a, a fine job of recruiting him. Um, and he is kind of a, a West Coast guy a, a little bit, but he's a Husker guy. But at he's heart. a Husker guy at heart. He grew up in a Husker household. He grew up watching a, a, a documentary DVD about the black shirts. He grew up listening to his dad tell stories uh, about him being a black shirt and how much it meant to him. I mean, Toby Wright is is you know considered by some one of the hardest hitting black shirts ever. And so um, I mean, he's a Husker at heart, and I think. Um, you know, from what Javen told us, he, he took that official visit to UCLA to, to see if he had the, the if the feeling he had about Nebraska still, uh, you know, stayed the same. And, and, and really, when he went to to, uh, to UCLA, it didn't it didn't change anything. In fact, it didn't even really compare to, to what he felt at Nebraska. So that's when he knew that he could shut things down. He had an official visit to Washington lined up later on in the year, but uh, he shut it down and committed to Nebraska. And it's a big pickup, 6'3", 195 pounds. 
and could play corner. That's where he's going to start out at. I, I think that he more than likely ends up at safety and could even grow into an outside linebacker. Very, very big frame. I wouldn't be surprised if, if he weighed, you know, 230, 240 pounds one day. And Nate, now Nebraska in the top 20 squarely, 20 commits, about 10 spots to go. Uh, they're going to stop at 30, but that includes grad transfer. So it could end up being 28 or 29. It just depends on the grad transfer market and kind of what they're looking at after the season's over on that side of things. But pretty safe to say that this, this is going to be a top 20 class. And, I mean, it, it could knock on the door of the top 15. Yeah, depending on how things sh- you know kind of shake out here over the next few months, you you got some really really big uh, targets left on the board that that could uh, help Nebraska kind of shoot up the rankings. There, Wandell Robinson, obviously, Ben uh, Hart, maybe. Yeah, Ben Hart maybe getting bumped up. Uh, I I think that he's he for, should be. Yeah, he's for sure in my opinion a, a top two fifty guy, probably even a top one hundred guy in my opinion. So. Uh, I'd look for him to to be to get a bump there. Uh, Ty Robinson is a is a rivals 250 defensive end out of Arizona that has ties to the state of Nebraska. Uh, he's visiting for the Michigan State game, and and I think that you know with with guys like uh, you know Ben Hard and and Javen Robinson, or I'm sorry, Wandell Robinson, kind of off the board for Nebraska. Ty Robinson kind of uh, becomes that top target that they're really really going to push for, and they have been pushing hard for him. So um, you. And a handful of other, you know, possible four-star type of players. So uh, I, I could definitely see this class knocking on the door of 15, but for sure inside the top 20 by the time uh, February rolls around. Well, it's going to keep getting busier here as we're hitting that time of the year when the coaches go on the road and start doing in-home visits. That will take place after the Iowa game for the following three weeks. After that, as Everybody's going to be making a strong push to sign their guys in December. But it's Nebraska, Ohio State, Husker Online, and our entire team will be out there full coverage. So make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com for all the coverage of Saturday's game here in Columbus. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.